Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. Shoes have more significance in Scripture than one might think. In the parable of the shoes, two spiritual applications are examined. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. morning I want to share another parable with you and it's the parable of the shoes now like any parable it's got spiritual application and and hopefully well this will have some good spiritual application but I was doing some research online this week and came across uh, you know some articles that said like the 10 craziest shoes or the 20 weirdest shoes etc all these are real shoes that real people wear so I pulled out just a couple I want to show you here's the first one Banana shoes. Now, if I wore those, don't you just think you'd always be just kind of like slipping and sliding? I don't know. Here's the next one. These are real shoes. Double-toed. Don't know if you're coming or going. Here's the next one. Yeah, ooh. New meaning to sticking your foot in your mouth right there. Here's the next one. Rat. Rat shoes. Every time I'd look down, I'd want to be jumping up on something, I think. I don't know. Here's the worst one. Here's the grossest one right here. Those are just nasty. I can't believe somebody would wear those. I, uh, I, I brought some of my own shoes. I don't have any shoes like that, all right? Just, but I brought some of my shoes. I just want to talk about it a little bit. I do have a pair of dress shoes in case I decide to dress up and go somewhere nice. A pair of sandals. Everybody needs some sandals to take out to the pool or the beach, etc. Have a pair of boots. I have some casual shoes that I can wear with jeans or shorts or what have you. I do have some house shoes, some nice camouflage house shoes. I do have some new tennis shoes. If I need some casual tennis shoes, I need to look somewhat nice. But then I have, these are my old running shoes. I don't run much anymore, but now they're my walking shoes, my workout shoes. With these shoes, here's the deal with them. All of us in this room have shoes. We all own shoes and we all wear shoes. But what's unique is we all have different tastes in shoes, right? We don't all like the same kind of shoes. You may not like any of these shoes. That's okay. They're not your shoes. They're mine. Why are there so many brands and styles and colors and designers for shoes? It's because we all have different tastes in shoes. So there's a market. So in reality, other than the ones we just saw, there's no wrong shoes. There's no bad shoes. There's just different shoes based on our taste. But when it comes to shoes, it is important that you wear the appropriate shoes to the appropriate occasion. I don't want to wear dress shoes to a beach party with my swimsuit on. I don't want to wear sandals with my tux to a black tie affair. I don't want to wear my house shoes to a restaurant, although I have actually done that before. <laughs> it was a fast food restaurant, so that's, that's okay. So you want to be sure you wear the right shoes. But also, isn't it nice when you've been on your feet all day, you've been working all day, you've been in these shoes that have bound you all day, and you get to finally get home and just take those shoes off for a while. Isn't that a great feeling? But conversely, there are also times when we have to wear shoes. We've all been in those establishments where the sign says, no shirts, no shoes, no service. So there are times we have to wear the shoes. 
But what's interesting with these shoes is it gives us some real insight, I think, spiritually. I think it can give us insight into our spiritual journey. And that's really where I wanna go in the parable of the shoes this morning. I wanna give you two applications as we move forward. And the first application is found in Hebrews chapter 12. We pick it up in verse one. And obviously, Hebrews chapter 12 comes after Hebrews chapter 11. But Hebrews chapter 11 uh, mentions all the heroes of the faith, those that God really used to do some tremendous things. It also lists those that ended up being tortured or died for the faith, but they're commended for their faith. And so the writer calls all of these people in chapter 11 a great cloud of witnesses. And that's what he says when he starts chapter 12, verse one. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, referring back to chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here are two aspects for this first application of our parable this morning. And that is that everyone needs running shoes. Everybody needs running shoes. These are mine, but everybody needs, spiritually speaking, running shoes. Why is that? Because verse one tells us that we're running a race. Every one of us are running the race and we're running a race called life. More specifically, we're running a race called spiritual life. We're not just running a physical race in life, but we are running a spiritual race called life too, a, spirit, a race of faith, if you will. And the important part in this race is that we don't ever get stuck somewhere in the midst of this race and stop running. I don't run marathons, but I have friends that run marathons and I contacted one of those friends this week just to get some clarification uh, on some marathons. And he did share that in certified marathons, there are checkpoints along the race. And in each of those checkpoints, you may not know exactly where the checkpoints are until after you've gone through the checkpoint, but the checkpoints are there so that when you run through it, you have a little timing chip that records that you've been through. You have to run through every checkpoint. If you don't run through the checkpoints, you could be disqualified because it keeps people from cheating and bypassing and trying to cut the race. In fact, I don't know if you read this, but this week in a marathon in China, I think it was, some people did cut through the deal and cut off like two or three miles of the race, but they got caught and got disqualified. So in the marathon, you've got to go through every single checkpoint. Now, if you miss a checkpoint, you could be disqualified. And it is possible that once you go through the checkpoint, you might be so weary and so tired at that point, you may just make a decision, I'm just gonna stop. I've run as far as I wanna run, I'm just gonna stop right here. But the goal obviously is to keep running. Now in the marathon, you've got runners starting at different times. You have runners running at different paces. You have people coming through those checkpoints at different times, but all of them are running a race. And spiritually, the same thing is taking place. We are all in this spiritual race of faith. We're running at different paces, but we're all running this race. And in this race, I think there are checkpoints. And every one of us in this race have to go through every single one of these checkpoints. We can't bypass them. Here's the first checkpoint. 
It's what I'm gonna call the checkpoint of darkness. This is where we were, are unaware, if you will, of who Christ is. We're oblivious to this whole dynamic of spiritual life, God, who Jesus is. We don't recognize Jesus Christ for who he is. We see this in the story in Luke 24 with two guys that are walking on the road to Emmaus. If you remember that story, it's after the crucifixion, it's after the resurrection. These two guys are walking down the road and all of a sudden a third guy joins them and it's Jesus, but they have no idea who it is. They walk down the road and they just talk, talk oblivious to who this person is until later down the road. Spiritually speaking, there are some people in this race now that are at the checkpoint now of darkness. They don't really know who Jesus Christ is. That brings us though to a second checkpoint in the race, what I call opposition. It's a state of being in rebellion, if you will, in defiance to what God is trying to do and trying to communicate to someone. We see this in Numbers chapter 22. You may remember this story. It's kind of a funny story. Balak is the king of Moab and he wants to uh, throw down some curses on the people of Israel. So he calls Balaam a prophet and sends for Balaam to come and send down this curse on the people of Israel. God's told Balaam not to go with him, but through a series of, of conversations, finally Balaam goes with this group to Balak. And on the way, God decides to talk to Balaam's donkey to keep Balaam from going to Balak. So first time the, the, the donkey just goes off road to try to stop Balaam. Doesn't do any good. Second time he takes him through a little narrow gorge where, where his feet are pressed in against the walls. That doesn't stop him. The third time... <clears throat> The donkey just lays down in the middle of the road. Well, now the Balaam's just beating the donkey and cursing the donkey. Finally, the donkey speaks. And if you ever read Numbers 22, what's so funny to me is Balaam never sounds surprised that the donkey's talking to him. He just starts talking back to the donkey. But the donkey tells him, this is what God's doing. Finally, Balaam has a conversation with God. And the whole story is this. Balaam is determined to do something that opposes and defies what God has said do. And God is trying to stop him through the donkey. Well, there are people in this race of faith that are at this checkpoint of opposition where God is desperately trying to get their attention but they are determined to continue to be defiant and go toward their destructive path. That's the checkpoint of opposition. That brings us to a third checkpoint that I'll call the checkpoint of seeking. We see this in John chapter six with the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian is riding in his chariot and he's reading scripture and he has no idea really what he's reading. He can't understand it, but there's something inside of him that is drawing him to the scripture, that is drawing him to want to know truth. And so he's reading the scripture. So God calls Philip and brings Philip alongside the Ethiopian. And Philip just says, hey, what are you reading? And so the Ethiopian tells him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, I need somebody to tell me. So Philip hops on the chariot and while they go, he tells the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the Ethiopian gives his life to Christ. So this is a checkpoint of seeking. Now, what's interesting about this checkpoint in John 6, what it says is that Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, at this checkpoint of seeking, really what's taking place is God is wooing that person. He is drawing that person. He is putting something in their spirit that is causing them to have a curiosity, to have an interest, to say, hey, there must be something. There's something in this realm. There's something in life that I'm missing. And so God's drawing them to this seeking state. 
That brings us to the fourth checkpoint. And it's the checkpoint of conversion. This is the checkpoint spiritually where people make the decision. They finally understand they've been seeking the Lord. They've gone through this process and now they've hit this checkpoint where they realize Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the one that died for my sin. Someone has to pay the wage for sin. Christ paid my debt. And so now they give their life to Jesus Christ at this point. After that comes the next checkpoint of what I'll just call a follower. And at that checkpoint, now that person's given their life to Christ, now they're growing in Christ. They're seeking to walk with Christ. They're wanting to spend time with Christ and they're maturing in their faith, which leads them now to the final checkpoint in this race, which is the checkpoint of abandon, where we finally reach complete surrender to Christ. People like Paul and Philip and Stephen and the Heroes, heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, all these people we read about scripture who are just totally abandoned for Jesus Christ and just surrendered for Jesus Christ. That's the final checkpoint. Here's the point of all this. The point is we are in a race. We're all running this race and we have to go through every single checkpoint. And what Hebrews is telling us here is don't stop and get stuck in one of these checkpoints. We can't bypass any of these checkpoints, but we don't wanna get stuck in any of these checkpoints either. Today, in the world, and maybe even in this room, there may be people at every one of these checkpoints this morning. Some are at the checkpoint of rebellion. Some are at the checkpoint of abandon. It doesn't matter what checkpoint you're at this morning. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with being at any of these checkpoints because every one of us have to go through every one of these checkpoints. The issue is you don't wanna get stuck at one of these checkpoints. There may be some this morning that you have not made it to the checkpoint of conversion yet. Maybe you're still at the checkpoint of rebellion against God. Maybe you're at the checkpoint of, of seeking, but it just hasn't all come together yet. My prayer is that you won't stop at that checkpoint but that you'll continue to move through this race to where you come to conversion. There may be some of you who reach the checkpoint of conversion, but you stop there and you never move to where you're really growing and moving yourself to total abandonment to Christ. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, what we're seeing now is, is the writer condenses this and he talks simply to believers at this point about their race. So if you're here this morning and you've not gotten to the checkpoint of conversion, my prayer for you before you leave this morning is that you would continue this race and you would realize that Christ has died for you and you'll give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you wanna to talk to somebody about how you do that, what that means, just see me after the service or see some others after the service and we'll deal with that. But now the writer hones in in the passage in Hebrews 12, one and two and talks specifically to believers about this race. And what does he say? He says, run with two elements in mind. The first is verse one, run with perseverance. In other words, don't quit running. Don't take off your running shoes. When you hit that proverbial wall, you keep on going. Verse two goes on and says that we would not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, those days when this race of faith gets so difficult, it gets so hard that we just wanna stop running. He's saying, don't run, don't stop running, run with perseverance. And in verse two, he says, run with your eyes fixed on Jesus. 
Why do we run with our eyes fixed on Jesus? Because he tells us he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He started us on the race. He's the one who empowers us for the race. He's the one who will help us finish the race. He's the whole reason we run the race. He's the goal of the race and he's the example of the race. It says there in verse two, it's for the joy set out before him that he endured the cross and he scorned the shame. He endured opposition and now he's seated with God. Now, Jesus didn't have to run through all these checkpoints. His race is different because he's God. But what the example here is that when he faced the opposition, when he faced the scorn, when he faced the cross, he didn't quit. He didn't say, hey, it's not worth it. I'm gonna stop running. He completed his race. And that's the example we have as we run this race of faith that we don't stop. So here's the first aspect of the parable of the shoes. We all need to have on our running shoes because we're all running a race. But that ties into the second aspect, and that is we all need our own running shoes. We all have to run in our own running shoes. These are my running shoes. They're not going to fit most of you. You're not going to like these because they're mine. They're different. So we're all running a race in our running shoes, but we're all running with different shoes. Some people like flats. Some people like heels. Some people like brown. Some people like black. Some people like Crocs. Some people like Cole Hahn. Some people like boots. Some people like sandals. We all wear shoes, but we all have difference. And there's spiritual application here. And that is we all have to run our own shoes. Look in verse one. What does it say? Run the race how? Run the race that's marked out for you. The deal with our spiritual race and this race of faith, the starting line's the same for all of us. The finish line's the same for all of us, but the route is different. The race is different. Every believer is on a spiritual journey, but every believer's journey is different. And that's okay. We're not all running the exact same race. It's different, and that's good. And we come into problems when we try to say everybody's race has to look exactly the same that everybody's spiritual journey has to be exactly the same. It's not. Let me give you some examples. One example is our salvation experiences are different. Now, let me know before I go further. I'm not talking about the means or the method of salvation. There's one way to get to God. There's one name under heaven by which man can be saved. It's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way someone reaches the Father and reaches eternal life, okay? There's one way to be saved. But in that context, all of our salvation experiences are different. We see that in scripture. In, chapter, in Acts chapter eight, we see the Ethiopian who is seeking and he is, comes to Christ from a very academic approach. In Acts chapter nine, we see Paul who's not seeking. He's still at the checkpoint of rebellion and opposition, but God does a dramatic work and shines the light and speaks to him in, a, in an audible voice. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius has a dream. Peter comes and shares Christ and he speaks in tongues at his salvation experience. Acts chapter 16, the jailer is at a point of crisis. He's come to the place in his life where he thinks it's better to take his life than to continue on living. And it's at that point of crisis that he meets Christ and comes to salvation. Through the book of Acts, you see where people are meeting daily and people are coming to Christ daily. These people are coming to Christ just 
very matter-of-factly. There's no great drama. It's just very matter-of-fact. People are coming to salvation. Everybody has different salvation experiences. Some are dramatic, some aren't. Some people are young, some people are old. Some people hear the message one time, give their life to Christ. For others, it takes years for them to come to Christ. When I was young, I used to want to have a dramatic testimony because my testimony is not very dramatic. I would hear these testimonies of these guys that have done all this crazy stuff and been in all this stuff and God does this miraculous and you know everybody's just amazed and wowed at all these great testimonies. So when I was young, I wanted one of those testimonies. There's a Christian comedian that wanted that kind of testimony too. He built his entire ministry on his testimony that he was in drugs early, joined the, the, the satanic church, became a high priest in the satanic church. And when he got out of that, the satanic priests were trying to kill him. And he built this whole ministry. Come to find out years later, it was all a farce. He had lied the whole thing just to create this image. As I got older, I realized I don't really want that testimony. I'm glad I don't have that testimony because the testimony that God saved me very young and spared me from a lot of things is just as powerful a testimony as those that God radically changed in the midst of things. So our testimonies are all different. That's okay. That's just part of the journey. We're all running a different race marked out for us. Our convictions are different. We don't all have the same spiritual convictions. Now by convictions, I mean personal persuasions, strong personal persuasions. Convictions are not biblical mandates. Biblical mandates are authoritative commands. Biblical mandates are authoritative commands for everybody for all times. But convictions are my persuasions that help me in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And the problem comes in when we try to force our convictions onto others as biblical mandates because they're, they're not biblical mandates. For example, some people have a, a conviction against drinking alcohol. They won't drink at all. That's not a biblical mandate. That may be a conviction. Now, drunkenness is a biblical mandate, but drinking is a conviction. Some people have convictions about seeing R-rated movies. Me personally, I made a commitment years ago not to watch R-rated movies. And the reason was because it's what I say, it kept messing with my sanctification. <laughs> I would see stuff and watch stuff that I knew I didn't need to be watching. It was just messing with me. So I just made a commitment. I'm not going to watch those just so I don't have to, to battle that. That's a conviction. That's not a biblical mandate. Now, holiness is a mandate, but R-rated moves is a conviction. Some people don't, are convicted about dating. You should not date at all. You should just not do anything until somebody somehow brings you together with the spouse. Some, I heard this uh, years ago, a preacher had a strong conviction that King James Version Bible is the only inerrant, infallible word of God. I actually heard him say on TV one time that the King James Version is more accurate than the original Hebrew and Greek texts. <laughs> That's not a biblical mandate. Now, this is God's word. That's a biblical mandate, okay? But the other is a conviction. There's nothing wrong with those convictions, they're fine, but they're your convictions. It's what God's doing in your life to help you walk more closely with the Lord and have a more intimate relationship with Christ. And if that's what God's doing in your life, that's great. But we, but we can't get that confused with biblical mandate because the convictions are different. Our spiritual experiences are different. And that's okay. I've noticed an unwritten... Um, 
rule, philosophy, way of thinking in Christianity among Christians that I've, I've put a, a mantra to, I've put a term to that I've noticed, and it's this. I do, so you must. I don't, so you can't. Okay? I do, so you must. I don't, so you can't. In the context of spiritual experiences, this is what a lot of people think, and it says this. I have certain spiritual experiences, and because I have these spiritual experiences, you have to have them too. And if you don't have them, there's something wrong with your faith and your relationship with Christ. Or I don't have certain spiritual experiences, and because I don't have them, you can't have them either. And if you have them, then you're weird and crazy and something's wrong with you. That's not the way it is. The, the, the joy about the Christian life is I don't have to experience God the same way you do for me to be fully experiencing God. Because our races are different. And I am to run the race that's marked out for me. You're to run the race that's marked out for you. We're all running the race. But it's going to look a little bit different. So that's the first application. We need our running shoes on, but we need our own running shoes on. Here's a second application that I want to mention. And it has two aspects as well. And the first comes from Exodus chapter 3. This is a story that, that most of you will be very familiar with. In Exodus chapter 3, it's talking about Moses and his experience with the burning bush. Verse one says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and I'll see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God brings Moses over and he says, take off your shoes, take off your sandals. Why? Because you're on holy ground. Here's the first aspect of this next application. We have to know when to take our shoes off. There's a time to take our shoes off. God tells Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. The angel of the Lord says the same thing to Joshua in Joshua chapter five. And in the Old Testament, there are a couple of, of, of stories, illustrations where uh, when a deal was being transacted, they would take off their shoes and they would hand it to the other person. This is the story of Ruth, that they would hand, it was a, a, a sealing of the deal, if you will. Any of you that watch The Voice, you'll know that with Jennifer Hudson, anytime she hears this great song, great performance, she takes off her shoe and she throws it on the stage. So it's kind of a weird practice, but there's something about this dynamic when you take off the shoe, what it represents is I understand reverence. I'm in a point of reverence. It's a, a mission of awe. It's a realization that I am in the, the presence of greatness. I'm in the presence of holiness. And in the parable of the shoes, spiritually speaking, 
we have to know that when there's a time to take off our shoes. We need to take off our shoes and spend that time in the Holy of Holies, spending that time in reverence and awe to the one who is great and holy. But tied into that is there's also a time to put your shoes on. We see this all through scripture. Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison. He's chained between two guards. Angel of the Lord comes and says, Peter, get up. When he says that, the chains fall down. And then very specifically, the angel says, put your sandals on. It's time to go. In Mark chapter six, Jesus is sending out the 12 to town to town, home to home, to share the good news of the kingdom and to do the miraculous things. He tells them not to take several things with him, but again says very specifically, wear your sandals. In Ephesians chapter six, we see as part of the spiritual armor that we are to have feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. What are our feet fitted with? They're fitted with shoes, with sandals. All of these are references to putting the shoes on. Here's the second application of the parable of the shoes. There's a time to take our shoes off and there's a time to put our shoes on. There's a time to take those shoes off for worship. And there's a time to put the shoes back on for service. Putting those shoes on represents our willingness to go, our willingness to serve, our willingness to minister, our willingness to witness, our willingness to do anything that Christ asks us to do and to go anywhere that Christ asks us to go. So here's the three takeaways for you this morning from the parable of the shoes. Number one, we're all in a race. Don't quit. Don't stop. Continue the race until the end, until you are at full abandonment for Jesus Christ. Complete surrender for Jesus Christ. Second, give grace to others in the race because they're running a different kind of race. It doesn't have to look like yours. They're at different stages, different places. They're running at different paces. That's okay, so give grace to others that are in the same race. And then three, every day, take off your shoes and worship. And then every day, put your shoes back on and serve the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for even simple things like sandals and shoes mentioned in scripture. How it can give us spiritual truth. So Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak truth into each one of our hearts and make application for us. Father, my prayer is each person would allow your Holy Spirit to minister to them this morning, to speak specifically into their situation. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's not made it to the checkpoint of conversion, that this day they would surrender their life to you and they would enter into eternity, even today, spiritually speaking, Father. Father, for those here that are struggling in the race, 
They're ready to quit. They're ready to stop running. Father, I pray that you would energize them. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would fill them with your power to continue the race. And Father, as we run, may we keep our eyes on you. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's all because of you. We're running to you. We're running for you. We're running with you. So as we continue to worship this morning, just continue to minister to us and speak to our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.